Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, today is part two, and we're focused on the 15 reasons why your listings won't sell. If you did not listen to part one yesterday, well, obviously you want to start there. And the intent of today's podcast and yesterday's, of course, is to give uh, an immediate boost of motivation and direction for those of you who have listings that aren't selling. But for those of you who have no listings, Um, here's the idea. Use this information when maybe speaking with a prospective seller who happens also to be an expired seller, because when giving this information to them, they're going to uh, immediately realize that you're more professional, giving them maybe the exact reasons why their property didn't sell. Another great idea is use this information for your social media. Um, I can see a lot of you guys using, making this into a lot of little short videos, or obviously, um, you know, just all kinds of different posts. You can use this for about anything. Because guess what? We're giving you our notes. They are waiting for you. Just scroll down. If you're over on iTunes, Spotify, if you're on YouTube, it does not matter. You just scroll down. Our notes are there. And when you're there, make sure you guys join Premier Coaching as well. Click on over. Check out Premier Coaching. You can join Premier Coaching for free. And it does entitle you to a daily semi-private coaching call with one of our Harris Certified Coaches. We know you love this podcast. This is the number one downloaded uh, real estate daily real estate podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States. My might even be number one in other countries. I don't really bother to look. Right. Okay. But the moral of the story is, is this information is just training. We do our best to do a great job training you, but this is just training. So if you love this podcast, you won't believe the experience you have when you join our Premier Coaching community. So make sure you uh, click on the link, join Premier Coaching. Now, if you are not able to click on the link and you want to join, um, maybe you're on desktop or whatever, that's fine too. Just go to premiercoaching.com. All right, Julie, let's pick up where we left off yesterday at point number eight. Yes. These are all reasons why your listing may not be selling. I think it's also a good checklist. You could look at this as top 15 things that you don't want to screw up when you take your next new listing going into it, right? So lots of different uses for this content. Point number eight, the listing could be in the wrong pricing segment. For example, if you're listed at 509,000, you are possibly the least attractive listing for a search from 500 to 750. That should be, and all, anybody experienced when you look at 509, you know it should be 499, to make it the best option for somebody searching, say, 350 to 500,000. Now, some would argue to just price it at 500, even that way you capture both of those types of searches. What are, what's your opinion on this kind of strategy? Um, you know, honestly, it depends on the price point because... You can do bigger swaths of, uh, because obviously, well, I mean, maybe not obvious to everyone, but upper end buyers will be searching in much larger price segments. Mm-hmm. In some cases, guys buy over a million dollars. Someone might look from a million to two million or something like that. But I would say in the normal price home, say anything 450 and less, you need to make it so you're priced as accurately as possible. Um, the, when Julie and I sold real estate, one of the things we do is we'd bring with us, and you guys should do this as well. From the MLS, essentially what we do is we'd show, like say the house was 400000 we would take maybe from two fifty up to six fifty, and we would show them where the largest, where, where they had the highest probability in what price segment to sell the house. So because sellers obviously always want to overprice. I mean, who doesn't, right? So let's say the market's saying, remember, you're not saying 
I'm saying, I'm, you're not saying my CMA, you're saying the market is saying uh, that the house is worth, say, $499. Well, it might, or rather it's worth $499, but the seller wants to put it up for $525. But if you look between, say, $500 and, say, $650, maybe in the last 90 days, there were only eight houses sold in that price point. Whereas if you were to look, say, for example, 350 to 500, they may be like 30. So you, if you drill down, you show the seller this actual information, you can explain to them, Mr. Seller, that extra 25 grand is actually lessening the probability of your house selling by, in this, giving my example, what, three to four X. So you definitely want to put it in the right, right price segment. And here's the nice thing, Mr. Seller, because your house is really, truly exceptional, I definitely understand why you think it's worth 525 in this market, just despite what the, you know, what the CMA is telling us. But when you price it at $499, someone's going to see that overwhelming value and they actually might, because we'll have multiple offers, that house, your house might actually end up being at $525, but we have to capture those buyers to begin with. We want to be the first thing that they want to see. We right. want to be the house they're dying to see before anybody else can get to it. Exactly. And we want to make it so that when they walk in that front door and they see the house because you've positioned it correctly, um, that they are like almost panicked because they need to somehow make an offer immediately. That's the emotional response you want from a buyer. That's right. Okay, now number nine is similar, but with a little twist. The listing might look clearly overpriced when compared to its competition. For example, if there are 10 listings that meet a buyer's criteria and your three-bedroom listing is priced as if it's a four-bedroom, you're always going to look overpriced and go to the bottom of the showing list. Now, let me let me edit that. Or not edit that, but let me add to it, okay? Mm -hmm. When Julie and I were selling real estate, and some of you were in similar situations, you might be selling real estate in an area where there's mostly four-bedroom houses. Now, somebody had the bright idea of you know building a three-bedroom, and the, what would have been the fourth bedroom turns out to be the loft. Yeah. But if you don't put in the cert, if you list it as a three-bedroom, you will get no showings. So you list it as a four-bedroom, and then in the public-facing description and in the uh, agent, private, uh, you know, description, agent to agent, yeah. agent to agent, you tell them that the fourth, the loft could be the fourth bedroom. And then you also want to get an estimate to make that fourth bedroom into a loft. But these are again, little nuanced differences mm -hmm. that if you don't, you know, if you don't get this right, you're going to have a listing that doesn't sell. And guess who's going to end up selling the listing? The next agent who lists it because they know what I just said is a way of getting more showings. Now, Julie, I think this would be a good time for us to give them the biggest closely guarded secret <laughs> ever. Sure. You're already giggling and giving it away <laughs> of real estate. So if you guys want to be successful as listing agents, I'm going to give you the biggest secret right now. Whatever you're doing, stop doing it. Turn the treadmill off, pull over the side of the road. Okay. Put the glass of wine down, whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the biggest secret, how you can become an amazing listing agent. Here it is. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, no, no. I'm still making you wait. Now you're frustrated. All right, here's the answer. Have the listing when it sells. Yes. Have, be the listing agent when it sells. Some of you are in marketplaces where you're seeing listings that have been listed once, twice, three times the charm. Well, have the listing when it sells because it turns out that all the previous listing agents were overpricing it by 25 grand, negating or essentially you know removing the you know 50 or 60% of the prospective buyers, and you just simply priced it at 499 and you sell it in 22 seconds. Everybody who's ever worked expired listings know what I'm saying is true. Sometimes the tiniest little, almost silly, stupid things that people overlook are the exact reasons why something won't sell, and that's the exact reason why you will be the listing agent when you will have the listing when it sells, thus you will have learned the secret 
of being a successful listing agent. Have the listing when it sells. And then you get to put your sold sign in the neighborhood. All right. right. So point number 10, the listing has a confusing floor plan. Well, you might think this is not something I can fix, but for example, a modern home in a colonial area or split levels or anything unusual for your market needs to have extra staging so buyers and buyer's agents understand how the floor plan can work. If you can't tell what a room is supposed to be, the home just won't resonate with a potential buyer. That well, one's a hard one because there's lots of different versions of that. And sometimes staging, you know, sometimes it just needs to be vacant. I'll, let me just wander into this one, all right? So some of you are selling in old home, homes and areas where the houses were built in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Now, a lot of you are going to have these really, truly bizarre floor plans. Like, I mean, what were they? Conversation pits? <laughs> Stuff like that, And like yeah. some of you guys, have, you, you don't even know what a split level is, and you're blessed for not ever having to de deal with that. But here's what a split level is. You walk in, you're in a foyer, and there's a staircase that goes up and a staircase that goes down. And you must choose. You have to make a decision right now right. because standing there, you're only standing in the eight by eight foyer. Exactly. You have nowhere to go but up or down. Now, you be careful that you don't bring those by. So like, for example, if you're in an area like that, typically split levels don't sell as fast. And agents will sometimes not want to show the split levels because of their personal biases. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that the buyer that you're working with might actually love the fact that there's very clearly defined informal living space and formal living space. That's how Julie and I always split, uh, you yes. know, marketed split levels when we had to deal with them, frankly, is because downstairs is a completely segregated area from the upstairs, which means, you know, it's more of a fun place to be with your family kind of thing. Or it could be a Zoom room or a home office or, you know, you have to be creative. You have to help somebody understand how to use those types of houses. Right, exactly. So, yes, that, well, that one's always interesting. But also, Julie, you said, you said confusing floor plan. And mm -hmm. when you guys take your appraisal classes, you're going to find out there's such a thing called an obsolete floor plan. But, you know, it, so it's devalued in the sake, for the sake of an appraisal. And you'll see it reflecting in similar homes. Uh, they're just not selling as fast. So they sell for less money. It's your job to understand all these things so you can show the seller the facts about the market, which, by the way, 99.9% .9 of the sellers already know all this stuff anyway. Yeah, all right, point, telling you. point 11. Point 11, the listing has negative feedback that never gets remedied and the price doesn't improve to reflect that repetitive negative feedback. That is a major thing that causes listings to expire. Assuming they're getting feedback. Assuming they're getting feedback. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes, again, we go back to the seller. Most of the time they know that because it's been bothering them. It may be even the reason that they're moving, right? So you have to remedy negative feedback and that gets back to using showing time and doing your own research and asking, you know, you guys haven't really had to call the previous showing agents to ask them what their buyer thought because before the answer was, well, we want to buy it along with the 10 other offers you were getting. You haven't had to do this. But now if it's sitting, you have to be proactive. You have to find out which of these 15 things is the problem. By the way, the house might be fantastic, but it turns out the, sell, the, the neighbor always comes over and jawbones with the buyer and the, the neighbor is a little bit, let's just say, unbalanced. And they are essentially... Freaking the buyers out. Exactly. There's all kinds of weird things that happen. All right. Point number 12. Point number 12. The listing has too many personal items like family pictures, degrees on the wall, specific artwork or collections. These things can distract the buyer from focusing on the property and how they would live there. Remove all family pictures. That's rule number one. Remove anything that... it's to it. Just listen to what Julie just said. And you can explain this to your sellers. Uh, they don't, when someone walks in, you guys do this too. 
and someone's got their degrees up on the wall, someone has their family pictures up on the wall, anything like that, people are just going to go and want to look at the family pictures, right? They're They're just curious. curious. Do I know this person? They're nosy. They're nosy. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's other things too. Like, you know, when we lived in Texas, it was fairly normal to have mounts on the wall, you know? Animal animal heads. Well, and and that was mostly okay in Texas with most people. But there's areas of the country where maybe that's the one person in the entire state that thinks that's cool. So (laughs) know your market. Think about what you just said. So Austin, Texas is like basically uh, California light as an essence, right? So Austin wasn't always like that. So if you were to go, if you had been in Austin, say 20 years ago, and you would went walked into someone's house and there's most likely going to be some sort of head on the wall somewhere. I mean, you know, just is. Elk, deer, whatever it is. Well, if someone's from California is is moving to Austin and they walk in and there's, you know, again, somebody's hunting trophies up on the wall, chances are that's not going to work for that particular type of buyer. You guys get the point? Yes. I think, I think it was, uh, it was either in or some, somewhere I came across uh, last week, there was just a fun little story that was, was like top 10 showing fails. And the top, it was, they were interviewing luxury agents. And one of them said that they had this listing where the seller had a collection of snakes, I kid you not. And the seller, because there were so many of them, insisted that he wasn't going to relocate what he called his snake room. Now, they were in cages, but still, isn't that going to creep the buyer out? I think so. I wonder exactly how many you have to have for it to be for considered a collection. A collection. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Not I mean, my thing. I mean, it's like, it's more than, it's got to be more than 10. It's got to be. But, it's, but, but how many do you get But it's got to be like less than 50. Because at some point, they're yeah. not staying in their cages. No. But, you know, I think I maybe a bonus point to this would be anything that kind of potentially creeps somebody out, right? I mean, people have like, um, you know, just collections of stuff that they really like, but maybe not everybody really likes. So Julie and I had an unofficial rule. Of course, we never tell the seller this, but it was our internal joke. So sometimes you come across the listing. Yeah, I know you do because you made it up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we come across a listing and maybe it wasn't expired. Maybe it wasn't. But let's just say the seller was not doing themselves any favors uh, when they're in the house. And they just let, you know, they didn't live, they didn't clean their house. They just, just whatever. And it was, and some of these were really, really expensive listings. Like some of them would be like a million, $2 million. And they were just not going to ever sell it because they were the problem. So Julie and I had an unofficial rule. It was called, it was like our plan, uh, you know, here's our 14 point plan to get your property sold. And then like an invisible ink was point number 15. It was remove the homeowner. And all of their stuff. And all their stuff. Don't so forget the, that part. So if we walked into a listing appointment, um, especially an expired, and it was obvious that the seller was the problem, without telling them or hurting their feelings, we would say, so you have a new home that you're moving into. When will that be? (laughs) Let's get that, you know, right. So we'd put the cart before the horse in some cases, that would end up, guess what, with their listing actually selling. Yes. Now related to this, sorry to go down bonus point land here. I learned from our listing with Oscar that you'll remember Mm. to when the seller's pre-qualification script, if, if you're talking, if the seller says to you, the home is fully renovated, you need to ask, in what year? Because if you recall, Oscar and his wife, God bless them, great people, super nice, sweet, you know, older couple. They had renovated somewhere probably around 1968 or so. But it was awesome. It was amazing. It was like the nicest wallpaper with, you remember the velvet fleck shiny stuff? No, no. You guys got to get what, understand what we're saying here. It was kitschy as hell. But, but I'm sure it rocked at the time. Yeah. I mean, I could see people walking around with their white bell-bottom pants oh, and yeah. their high heel shoes. And, and boy, Oscar and his wife really loved that because, you know, that was probably kind of like their pinnacle peak earning where they 
put their heart and soul into that rehab. And it's not something that you're going to say you got to remove all this. You're not going to say neutralized Oscar. So ask at what time they actually rehabbed or renovated. Okay, number 13. The listing has obvious detriments like bugs, dog hair, cat box smells, a green swimming pool, or other off-putting things that are making the buyer run away. You can either price it to reflect the condition or fix the condition, and sometimes you're going to have to do both. It just depends on what it is. So remember, listeners, we suggested to you use something like showing time or just have a little survey that you leave in the kitchen uh, for the buyers and the buyer's agents to give immediate feedback to the seller. You don't have to be the one telling them. Um, negative feedback. Matter of fact, it will not work in your benefit to give them negative feedback. They might actually be, they most certainly will be insulted and they'll fire you. So allow, you know, delegate that to uh, digital systems or allow the, you know, the buyers and the buyer's agents to give negative feedback um, or all the above. When Julie and I, one of the things we teach you in our listing um, process is when you're meeting with the seller, you ask them how they want the feedback. Do they want it digital showing time? Do they want a, uh, some sort of, um, you know, asking the buyer's agents and the buyers to fill out a survey when they're at the house, or do they want somebody to call and get the feedback? And usually what they would ask for is the uh, call. So they would want somebody actually calling and then surveying the, the buyers and the buyer's agents after the showing and then calling them back and giving them the actual information. This is a great way for you to get price changes as well, because what will often happen is, is that you're going to essentially, because you're delegating this to somebody else or to a digital system, the market is going to be continuously letting that seller know that there's a price condition location issue or all the above. And they're then going to be more receptive to lowering the price versus you just calling out of the blue and say, time to lower the price. You guys get it? Well, they hate that. If that's the only thing that you're saying, that is not a strategy. Right. And this is all, these are all the things, these techniques that we teach you guys in Premier Coaching. Point number 11. 14, sorry. Point number 14, the listing has a lower than expected buyer side commission. This is something we need to be careful of because ultimately these are the types of things that are being litigated right now. But really at the end of the day, you need to be offering a co-op commission that's commensurate with whatever the market expects. Yes. And in some markets where the, uh, the um, essentially where things are becoming harder to sell, and I realize it's not very many markets, but where it is, it also behooves you to offer a higher than normal market rate commission. Look what the builders are doing. They mm-hmm. are, you Bonuses. know, they, exactly. Or you could also offer things like um, maybe it's not even a higher commission. Maybe it's going to be simply offering to pay the buyer's closing costs, the buyer's points, pay for the home inspection. We did a podcast about 11 ways, 11 creative ways to sell your listings. This this is, you know, kind of a twist on that, but you can refer to that where we talked about maybe instead of a $10,000 price reduction or, you know, something else, you could do $5,000 towards buyer's closing costs. Or you could pay the HOA dues for a year, something like that. Do the math. It does not always have to be expressed as a commission percent. Right. So point number 15. Number 15, the listing agent simply isn't proactive or effective at communicating with the seller. Ooh, that's a nice Mm. way, nice classy way of saying they're lazy. I know. It's more words, but it means the same thing. Yep. When there's competition in the market, you must have a proactive strategy for being the listing that wins, being the listing agent that wins. Now, I, I wrote, you know, when there's competition in the market, but really you need to do this no matter what's going on in the market. You've got to be really great at communicating with your sellers. That's why in Premier Coaching, you've got the seller's 12-week communication plan, for example. Remember, one listing should equal at least three or four different transactions. That seller is going to buy something. You're going to get a listing from the neighbor. Maybe you're going to sell the listing yourself. There's so many different opportunities that only come from working with sellers. But the way to approach all these relationships, all these, you know, essentially 
what you're doing is you're applying for the job of, uh, I mean, you're, you're hoping to get more work, right? Yeah. So great work is going to create more opportunities. More work only comes as a result of you having done a great job with, for somebody else. Hopefully you're understanding what I'm saying. So when you're positioning a house to put for sale, when you're doing the marketing, the advertising, taking the pictures, writing the descriptions, helping the seller to you know position the house so that it correctly reflects the buyer's expectations, all of these things, what you're truly doing, in addition to obviously getting the property sold, is you're going to make other buy other sellers in that marketplace, they're going to want to most likely list with you. And remember as well, this goes back to the don't be lazy point. A lot, depending on the price point, you're going to have a lot of buyers calling on that property and a lot of those buyers are going to have houses to sell. Mm -hmm. This is the, ultimately, we talked about this yesterday. We talked about this all the time. I get the benefit of funnels and I get the benefit of all these passive systems, but the agents that are winning now are the agents that have zero boundaries between themselves and a prospective buyer or seller. You do not want to be dripping on people. You do not want to be putting people in long drip campaigns in a market like this. You need to pick up the phone and call them or make it so that when they call you or text you, you call them back You know, furiously, furiously fast lead follow-up. That's what's working in this market. The obvious answer is getting to the client first. That's how you're actually going to make the most amount of money, helping the most amount of people in this market. That's right. So work to eliminate these 15 potential issues, especially those of you who are sitting on your own listings and they've been on the market a weekend, two weekends, a month, two months. Why aren't they selling? Go through this checklist of 15 potential reasons. You probably have a combination of two or three you probably can help the seller's house overcome that, help the seller overcome that. But if that's impossible, then you must price the home to be more competitive. It's no longer good enough to just be available in some markets. Depends on the price range. If you're the only home on the market for miles around, you can get away with more. You guys know that. But now we're getting more inventory. Buyers are more skittish. There's less FOMO in the market. The investors have left. The flippers have left. You have to be more proactive. The home you're listing has to shine and be the clear choice for any buyer who sees it. Now I want to point something out. You guys have just listened to the past two days on 15 points on you know how to basically get a listing sold, especially if it's not selling. How much more confident do you feel having essentially had these ideas shared with you. This is just real estate training. If a lot of you are feeling educated, motivated, and now you're going to use this information urgently to get into action and go you. But the real actions you guys should be taking is join Premier Coaching. It's the next natural step. Join our Premier Coaching community. You love this podcast. We know you do. So now take the next natural step and become a Premier Coaching client. The easy button is to scroll down, click the link in today's show description, or if you'd like, you can just go to premiercoaching.com. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.